Welcome to the Athletics Prospects to Pros podcast. I'm Dane Brugler. Uh, The last time we talked, we were putting a bow on the 2020 NFL draft back in May. Now we're back. We're looking forward to the 2021 NFL draft. We're also mixing in plenty of NFL talk, primarily focusing on rookies, uh, younger players from recent drafts. And obviously, this is a weird time with the pandemic and how that's going to affect not only the season, but the draft process. But there's no doubt uh, it's going to be a crazy, crazy football world. And so this podcast is going to be with you every step of the way. And we have plenty to cover today. But before we dive in, I'm just extremely excited uh, to welcome in my new co-host on Prospects to Pros. If you're a fan of the NFL draft, then I, I know you're excited about this as well. Uh, Mr. Lance Zerline, who, uh, in my opinion, one of the best eyes for talent in the industry. Uh, you know, our friendship goes back almost 10 years now. Uh, he's the man behind all the in-depth draft profiles on NFL.com. He he grew up around the game in a family of coaches, and he just adds a wealth of knowledge to this podcast. So, Lance, welcome aboard, man. Man, it's great to be here. Obviously, um, I respect the hell out of you. I have for a long time since since your days with uh, uh, previously with um, the with CBS and NFL yeah, Draft Scout. Right? CBS, but Draft Scout. I always called it Draft Scout because I knew how the the whole setup went. And I always thought that was a really good. I always thought the job that you and Rob did were. It wasn't the superficial, you know, kind of the superficial scouting with your ears. It was more scouting with your eyes. And I think that's the real key is is one of the reasons I really respect you is because there's really there's no way that you can get a feel for players unless you're scouting with your eyes. And that and that means having an opinion, having a strong opinion backed by you know your deep dives into tape, into some of the analytics, into an idea of, of philosophies and how players typically project. And so, you know, making sure that, that, that it's done the right way is always very important to me. And there's some people in the, in the business who certainly do that. And, and you're one of them. So the opportunity to do the podcast with you, I certainly jumped at that and I'm really excited about it. I think we'll have some, some great information and some, some good debate. And really, I think we'll give some people um, an opportunity to think about what they're seeing maybe a little bit differently through the eyes of, of, of a couple of guys who do talk to NFL evaluators, because I can tell you they see it differently than we do a lot of times. Yeah, no doubt. And like I said, this is going to be a really weird year, but you know, I'm, I'm looking at this from a half glass full perspective and it's going to make things a lot more interesting. And it's, it's really unfortunate what's going on with, uh, you know, on a larger issue with the pandemic, but specifically in the college football world with the Big Ten, the Pac-12, and a lot of these players not being able to get on the field, but it, it's going to make the draft process a lot more interesting. So uh, a lot of interesting conversations coming up. And, and like you said, with the NFL and the way they're going to view this class, uh, it, it's going to be a lot different. And so I don't I don't know. I think we're going to see less groupthink, you know, because teams are going to be so different with how they view things. We don't know yet what next spring is going to look like with, are we going to see college football games? Or is the NFL going to adjust their calendar in terms of the senior bowl, the combine? What, what are those events even going to look at? So uh, it's going to be really interesting as we get closer to that. And, uh, you know, you can find Lance on Twitter at Lance Zerline. Uh, I'm at DP Brugler and, you know, I, I think along those lines, we just kind of set the table for the current situation uh, and specifically as the scouting community, how COVID-19 is affecting things. 
uh, in normal years, you know, NFL scouts, they're you're gearing up for a busy fall. You know, they're they're planning out their school calls, their uh, you know travel arrangements, a lot of prep work. But this year, no one it, just talking to you know my buddies in the league, no one's quite sure what this fall is going to look like, especially with the Big Ten, the Pac-12, you know, the ACC, the Big 12, SEC, those three conferences, along with you know the Sun Belt and the AAC and some other uh, programs, they're trying to make the fall season happen. Uh, but even if we do have college football this fall, NFL teams, they're not quite sure if they're going to be represented at those games. And I've been, uh, you know, just taking a different, you know, different polls around the league and I get back the same responses. They have no clue. You know, they're doing a lot of Zoom calls right now, talking about area scouts. You know, they're writing up their area. They're they're rewatching the tape, uh, trying to get cross-check themselves. But it's a holding pattern. So, uh, you know, I, I, Lance, what, what is your feel for how NFL teams are approaching not only this fall, but just their overall scouting philosophies leading up to the draft? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I think it's a difficult question to answer. And I think you have to go back to pro days and the lack of pro days last year. When the pandemic hit um, in February, I remember I was on um, I was on location doing a hit for NFL Network. We were at Oklahoma watching CeeDee Lamb and, and Jalen work out. And uh, Kenneth Murray, well, Murray was there. He he wasn't working out, but, but Murray was there as well. And the very next day, they shut everything down. And the lack of pro days really was an eye-opener for a lot of teams. Of course, this was, you know, it was something we hadn't seen before, lack of pro days. We weren't able to see players who hadn't worked out at the Combine get their get their workouts in, the, the ones that they needed to show how fast or explosive they were. Um, players who were injured at the Combine and couldn't work out, they didn't have an opportunity in many cases to prove themselves. So it was just so unusual. But one of the more unusual things that happened uh, in, in talking to some teams was that there wasn't the group think on the road. Because when you're on the road with a variety of, of personnel guys and GMs and scouts and coaches – there is a little bit of a group think and there is some shared information and some shared stories and concerns when you're just on a field talking and and that's natural that happens well that didn't happen after may i think it was may 7th was was the oklahoma pro day there wasn't that that march same 7th, conversation yeah. march 7th i should say there wasn't that same conversation there there wasn't that 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 accidental group think that is happening sometimes and teams had to really lean on their area scouts for as much information as they could to determine, you know, some of the players who didn't have pro days, what those players, who, what those players were going to be like and, and what could we expect to see from them and going back to the tape and maybe studying the tape more as opposed to using the, um, the pro day physical markers as, as a jump off point. Well, now we fast forward and you see some of the same things. Scouts will typically go in and packs. They don't, they don't plan it this way, but I, I remember going into Texas uh, to watch some tape three years ago, and I happened to be there with, you know, uh, the Chiefs and the Rams and the Colts, and there was one other team that I can't recall who the other team was, and it was, you know, you're just in there. Occasionally, someone will make a comment. You all watch tape at the same time, and and somebody will make a comment, and then you start having some discussions and. You know, it's not like everyone shares all their information and all their opinions, but we're going to lose some of that again this year. And I think you're right. I think it will require the teams to have a very distinct um, philosophy 
in place. And I think teams who rely on the tape over just the traits will have a little bit of an advantage in the beginning because you know, there, there may not be the same measurements and to say, we'll have to see how the combine goes and things like that. But then eventually the teams who are traits driven, Dane, I think in a weird world, the second half of the draft process, once we hit February and March, even if you have to go back to 2019 tapes, a tape, like you're going to have to on some of the players that we'll get into in just a little bit, you will have your physical standards that you can lean on. So even if you haven't, you don't have 2020 tape on a guy, Dane, you will have physical standards uh, that help you project players. And I think teams and more and more teams are relying on physical standards and traits than ever before. And so while the tape is still very, very important, not having that 2020 tape won't be a killer for some of these teams as they use their projection models. Yeah, and that that's a great point. Uh, you know, talking about confirmation uh, bias, and yeah, it, that it's part of the process that's inadvertent and something that you don't really try to do, but it, it happens in the scouting world, both uh, with NFL teams, uh, those of us on the outside. It's just it happens, and this year is going to be really interesting to see how the next spring plays out in the whole process. And so that's kind of the NFL side of things. Now for the the prospects uh, perspective, it, it's so fascinating because I first off have to mention how the NCAA made a ruling uh, as of right now that every football player uh, at the college football level will be granted an extra year of eligibility regardless if they play this season. So technically, everyone, not just underclassmen, will have to officially declare uh, if they're going to be part of the 2021 draft. And that's... You know, we're going to see some guys, if, if fifth-year seniors, if they want to go back for a sixth year, they can. Uh, we'll see several underclassmen, redshirt sophomores, who uh, just d- decide to opt out. Um, but it's it's really going to be interesting to see how they how the NFL navigates that whole process. And we've had several notable players already uh, officially opt out of the season. Um, and I think there's a there's a big distinction there. Uh, opting out is not declaring for the draft. Some have opted out but not declared. Several have opted out and have declared already for the draft. Uh, talking about LSU's Jamar Chase, Virginia Tech's Caleb Farley, uh, Penn State's Micah Parsons, Miami's Gregory Rousseau. These guys are all projected first round picks. So you know these decisions go beyond just football, obviously. But uh, for you, Lance, I, I know you've looked at some of these players who have already declared, who has intrigued you? Uh, you know, Who do you think maybe in a perfect world ideally needed another season at the college level? Who really stood out? Well, so I think Rousseau is right off the bat. Let me mention him because I think he's one. I don't have the highest grade on him. I've got Micah Parsons. Same. I've got a higher grade on Parsons over Rousseau. But I think Rousseau is one of the most intriguing, and it's for – Reasons that will be a little bit different than usual. First and foremost, this is a former wide receiver who made the switch over to pass rusher. So you've got some intriguing length with him. He's about six foot seven. Um, his statistics were incredible. I think 15 and a half sacks, 19 tackles for loss, something in that neighborhood. So the the, the production looks incredible. If you're going to scout off the, the box scores, wow, look at this. If we're going to scout off, you know, off, off uh, college football reference or whatever, that those numbers look great. Looks very, very productive. You see the height and you see the length, and that looks exciting from from the standpoint of um, of a you know of, of the traits. 
Then you hear he's a former wide receiver. You get more excited about the athleticism and the potential speed. But then when you turn the tape on, you see a guy who is pushed inside because they had two pass rushers on the outside uh, last year who came out in the draft. So they push him inside to zero technique. And so he's rushing from over center. And many of his sacks last year came from secondary effort or when he was rushing from zero technique. And he was able to beat guards or he was able to twist and stunt and do things like that. And, And let's be honest. That is not what he's going to be in the pros. He is not going to be a guy who rushes over the center. He is going to have to be a player who wins from the edge. And I thought one of the more interesting things about Rousseau that I didn't expect was that he wasn't as twitchy as I thought he would be. He didn't have the juice around the edge that I expected. Now, keep in mind, this is his first year of playing at the position full-time in games. And so maybe, you know, I think a lot of times – he looked to win with his hands, which he he does have quick hands, and you do see the talent. But we didn't see the speed rush and bend and 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 bend and corner at the edge like we see from edge rushers. And I think one of the concerns I have right now is how do I balance out the traits? How do I balance out the potential with a guy who hasn't proven to me that he can be a full-time edge rusher yet? A lot of his production didn't come off the edge. And I didn't see him as a highly skilled edge rusher, and I don't think he's particularly twitchy like I kind of expected uh, from a former wide receiver. But he's growing into his frame. I've heard uh, that he's up in the 260s right now, which is which is you know really growing into his body. And he only has one year of experience. So I can't kill him for what I haven't seen yet. But at the same time, I can't just project that data. I can't just project those sacks and tackles for loss into the NFL yet because it was an unusual circumstances where much of that production came from. So he is one of the trickiest ones that I've looked at this year. Yeah, 100% agree. And you and I see him pretty similar. Uh, the first thing that you notice is just the length. I mean, he's stretched out. He's got the, that that super long frame. Uh, you wish that he was able to tap into his power a little bit more, but he is quick. He will use his hand with his hands. And he, I did notice how kind of like you were mentioning how, uh, you know, a lot of second effort stuff, his ability to retrace and using his length to to come unglued from blocks that, that was a big, uh, asset for him in terms of getting, uh, racking up that production. So, uh, he's, I did not like his tape as much as I thought I would. Uh, kind of along the lines of what you're saying. You yeah, know, I, I yeah. heard all the hype and, you know, only one year because he missed all of his first year at Miami with an ankle injury. So he redshirted. And then last year, that's when he emerged, uh, had just this remarkable production. But he's still a guy who's just, he's not the sum of his parts just yet. Uh, he doesn't 100% know what he's doing. Uh, and he's not, he's a pretty good athlete, but I don't think he's going to test necessarily off the charts either. I don't so, either. I, I think the ceiling, I mean, there's a lot to like about the ceiling, but it's just getting him there and feeling confident about what kind of grade to put on him. It, it makes it really tough. And there's a few guys like that uh, in this class uh, that, you know, we're, we'll get to here in a little bit. We're, we're going to touch on my, my top 50. Um, I wanted to talk about in the Big Ten, uh, two players who, uh, two offensive tackles who both made my top 50, but they're very different. Uh, I think the two contrasting offensive tackles when you got one guy, Rashawn Slater from Northwestern, who uh, is my second rated tackle right now, my top rated senior 
really nice job against Chase Young last year. Uh, he's going to get killed throughout the process because he does not have the length that teams traditionally look for. I would guess that he falls maybe just shy of that 33-inch threshold that several teams have, uh, you know, 32 and a half, 32, three quarters, something like that. Um, and he doesn't have that ideal frame, the measurements, but he knows how to play the position. And so I, I, I think he has a chance to be a first-round pick, uh, you know, maybe somewhere in the 25 to 35 range. Uh, so I really like Slater, and he, he's, a, he's a really experienced guy. So him opting out, um, you know, it, not a big surprise there. I, I, I think he's making the right move instead of trying to stay around for a spring season, whatever that looks like in the Big Ten. But then also another tackle from the conference, Jalen Mayfield uh, from Michigan, who, the you know, Michigan had four offensive linemen drafted uh, last spring. Mayfield, the only returning starter this year, and the coaches love him. You talk to people on that campus, they they rave about him. You see the ability, but he's just not ready yet. I mean, he's just not there. He, he leaves you wanting more, and so uh, that was a really, uh, I thought, interesting decision for him to opt out right now. Um, I, I still think he can be a top 50 player. I mean, he snuck into my top 50 at like number 49 overall. He's just, he's not all the way there yet. And so, but we've seen before, offensive tackles, if you've got certain traits, you're going to go still pretty high because it's it's a position that's always in demand in the NFL. So I do think Mayfield will go in the top 50, but not having another year of development uh, at the college level is something that's really going to hurt him. Have you seen either of those two players? Yeah, I have. I wrote Mayfield. I haven't written Slater yet. But Slater's a three-year starter, as you mentioned. So there's plenty of tape on Slater. I'm with you. It, it, he could stay in if he wanted to, and that's fine. But I've got enough tape on him. I'm not worried about it. Mayfield, I think, made a big mistake. Um, I would not have come out if I were Mayfield. I, I, I was fluctuating on my grading scale between giving him a 5'9", which is a backup, uh, pure backup grade. But he's better than that, I think, potentially. So I gave him a 61 as of the taping of this. And this will that 61 is going to stay for a while at least. And that is, in my grading scale, you know, that's a third, fourth caliber grade. Um, I've got, that's a good backup with the potential to become a starter. I think he's more of a, a swing tackle type talent is what he's shown right now. He, and look, and now I've got to decide and now NFL, more importantly, NFL teams have to decide his lack of anchor. Is this something that can be solved with more time and more strength and more experience? His inability to redirect players when they get to his edge, is that something that is going to get better with more work in the weight room? And, and is he just going to, you know, just just get bigger and stronger with time? I think you can you can project certain things that are technique-based. Um, one of those areas that he really has an issue with is dropping his hands and kind of loading up his punch. He, he, he goes into a, a drop and circle, which is a big problem because defensive ends can get into his chest and they will exploit that in the next level way worse than he saw in the, in, in the, in college game. What I did like a lot is he's very smart. He recognizes where pressure is coming from. He sees where blitzes are coming from. He understands what his um, job is. He's very quick out of his stance. He's very athletic. I think right now he's a zone scheme tackle right now, who needs to prove that he can get physically stronger in his upper body and has to learn to play with better bend and more efficient hands. And you can't just the muscle memory stuff. It can be taught, but it can't be assumed. And so right now I'm struggling with a guy who I wish had 
gone back to school. And I don't care. You could opt out and come back next year. But I really wanted to see another year on tape because what I saw on tape from 2019, it just it just wasn't enough for me to project him into the top 50. Now, could he go there? Absolutely. He's a tackle and he's got good feet. And, and, and that's something that's going to be, and he's got good size, actually. It's going to be enticing to teams. But what I saw on tape left me feeling very nervous about if I had to stick him out there and play him at left or right tackle, presumably right tackle, it's the only spot he's, he played at Michigan, would he be able to hold up against a grown man NFL rusher? And I think the answer is no right now, but that doesn't mean it's always going to be no. So one year of tape is all I have. One year of tape is all you have, Dane, and one year of tape is all that any NFL teams are going to have. That's a real challenge based on, you know, some of the, the limitations he has. As far as Slater's concerned, like I said, I think he's going to be a guard. Um, he's tough and he knows how to play the game. And I think his ability, the arm length is going to be a concern. I don't think he's going to, I don't think he's going to measure out at even six five. So I think when you're shorter and you don't have long enough arms, I think you're an automatic bump down for most teams. But what's going to be a big advantage is teams love, as you know, they love the tackle to guard bump down because it helps with the interior rushers. All those reduced rushers that we see, these defensive ends bumping inside to tackle, now you have a guy with tackle experience able to handle it at guard. So I think he'll be, I think he'll be looked at as a guard. Mayfield, I think he made a mistake coming out, but time will tell. Yep, agree. And I, I talked to some uh, one team that uh, or one scout that thought Slater is going to be best as a center uh, in the NFL. So yeah, I think that the versatility that he has uh, is something that is going to be appealing, no question. And, and with uh, with Mayfield, I agree. I mean, I think he, uh, you know, you just want to see him be more aggressive and pro- with his protections. Uh, you want to see uh, just a more physical brand of football. And if you don't see that at the Big Ten level. Uh, you know, it's just not going to get any easier uh, against professional teams in the NFL. So uh, I, I think the ability is there. I, I mean, like I said, enough that I snuck him into my top 50 just because I know uh, how much the coaches love him. And, you know, the, the he's very far from his ceiling. Uh, but in terms of reaching that ceiling and getting the development that he needs, that he needs, you know, we, we talk about it every year. The NFL is not a developmental league. And for, you know, him to go now, it's just, he's leaving a lot of meat on the bone. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's something that's going to be tough for him to overcome. I think he can do it, but, uh, yeah, time will tell how that works out. Uh, wanted to hit on these receivers too. Uh, you know, Jamar Chase, uh, over the weekend after, previously I think it was his dad said that oh he was going to play he opts out you know I, I Jamar Chase I think you pencil him in as wide receiver one in this class uh there was no chance of him eclipsing uh the production that he had last year uh with Joe Burrow and that LSU offense um I mean you could always have room to get better but uh I, I think that he is the overwhelming favorite to be the first receiver now that second receiver off the board that's where it's really intriguing and we had a couple uh, wide receivers who are vying for that second wide receiver uh, in the rankings uh, already opt out. Rashad Bateman from Minnesota, Rondale Moore from Purdue. And I think Bateman, we have a good idea of who he is. He's a savvy receiver. Every step in his route tree has a purpose. He understands how to manipulate coverage. He's just, he's not a burner. He's not a guy that's going to be a consistent after the run or after the catch type of runner. Um, He's, probably going to run four five, seven in the 40 yard dash, you know, and that's for some, 
uh, some teams will be happy to see that because they think, okay, maybe he'll fall a little bit. Maybe I can get him in the early second round where other teams, uh, you know, they're, they're going to be turned off by that. Uh, and then with Rondale Moore, he's one of the more intriguing receivers that we're going to have in this draft. One of the best freshman seasons that we've ever seen at the college level and then doesn't play or only played in four games last year, but he was hurt. And then obviously not going to play this year. So 5'9", 180, 185 pounds. So he's undersized. He was basically mostly a slot receiver or underneath receiver. Uh, didn't have many downfield targets. And I don't blame Purdue for that. They just wanted to get their ball, to get the ball in the, in the hands of their best player. And so whatever, whatever the easiest way they could do it, bubble screens, uh, you know, quick slants, whatever it took, that's what they did. But not having that the, the downfield targets on his tape, at least on a consistent basis, it, it makes it tough uh, for his evaluation. Uh, and like I said, not barely playing the last two years. So those two receivers, uh, did you like one over the other between those two? Yeah, I, I'm not I'm not a big Bateman guy. Um, I didn't love Bateman, and I, my problem with him was when he, if you look at who he played against. I tell you, he really struggled against Lamar Jackson, cornerback from Nebraska. I went back and watched it in 18, and I watched it in 19. Um, I'm a big believer in contested catches. I want to go see what you look like in contested catch situations. And I just didn't think he was very gritty in the catch space. I agree with everything else you were saying, but when the ball went up, I thought he really got manhandled at times against bigger, stronger cornerbacks. And that was a concern for me. And the way that Lamar Jackson, who certainly I don't think is going to be, you know, I don't think he's going to be an NFL starter, but he was a big physical corner. He really caused some problems for Bateman. And I think when you saw corners who were big and physical with him, um, that was at times an issue for him. And I think that's something that is a big concern once you get to the next level, because more and more cornerbacks are in that mold. Um, so, you know, I liked, I liked the numbers, but when, when you go back and look at the productivity, there is productivity against some of the lesser opponents in, in many of the cases, and it's more flashy. And I had a, I had a scout tell me this, and here's a, here's his quote. He said, production looks good on paper, but I was at a couple of his games he played last year, and I just wanted to feel him more. And he brought up the fact that he was at a game where he was a relative non-factor. I want to see that level of consistency, game, 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 game. Um, and I know he had Tyler Johnson as well last year who took up some of those catches, but I thought he made a valid point when when the scout mentioned that you don't always feel him inside of a game. Now, that's not the case with Rondell Moore. I think Rondell Moore... To me, I love where you have him slotted. I don't think he gets drafted there because historically players who play in a slot and and I know that he lined up outside sometimes, but I think he'll be viewed as a, a big, strong slot. Um, great yards after contact. Players who play his position and the way that he plays typically are going to go in round three. Now, I think that he is going to go in round two. But I think who he is as a football player is even higher than that. I, I compare him to Tyler Lockett, not necessarily in the way that they play the game, but who they were. They're both highly competitive. They both can return kicks. And you just felt like you could count on those guys. And in a weird way, even though I'm complaining about Rousseau not having enough tape, I'd like to see more tape for uh, Farley, Caleb Farley out of Virginia Tech, who we haven't talked about yet. We've got, you know, a whole college football season to talk about him. Jalen Mayfield, I want to see more tape. But Rondell Moore, in a weird way, after seeing him in one season and then four or five games in the next season, 
I feel like I know who he is. I, I don't feel like he's going to show me anything different. He is he is a competitive player who is a monster after the catch for his size. He punches well above his weight class as a physical player. And I just think I feel like I know who he's going to be as a pro. And I felt very confident in giving him a strong 6.2, um, which is like a solid third rounder. But I feel like he's for sure going to be a starting slot. I, I just think he's going to be a second rounder. He's going to be a starting slot. And I feel really good about Rondell Moore. Now, what's interesting, looking at your list, is one of Rondell, I would argue that Rondell Moore's best game of the whole year came against Ohio State and the cornerback that you have just above him, Sean Wade. When I went back and watched Rondell Moore to write him up and I watched that Ohio State game, and I remember I remember from watching that. From two years that, ago. Yeah, from two years ago. I yeah. remember, yeah, not last year, two years ago. And so Wade's a younger cornerback, obviously. But Sean Wade really struggled checking Rondell Moore. Now, he's a bigger, longer cornerback, so – it's not the best matchup to be in the slot against a guy, you know, like Moore, but he really struggled and and Moore ate him up for much of that game. Yeah, and I, I think that's a great transition to uh, my top 50 list. And, you know, we kind of already started talking about it. Um, and look, it, it's tough to do these exercises this early where you're trying to stack all these positions and all these players and uh, especially this year, because like you know, like we've been talking about with guys like Gregory Rousseau and these players that are not quite proven yet, it is tough to figure out where they fit on on a board like this. Uh, Jason uh, Owe from Penn State, another great example, explosive athlete at six five, two fifty five. He was ready for that breakout season this fall, taking over as a starter for Yuter uh, Gross Matos, uh, second rounder uh, this past April. But with the Big Ten not playing, uh, you know, he's just not going to have those on-field opportunities to develop. And I think Sean Wade is another great name, uh, how difficult it is to find out exactly or figure out exactly where he fits in all this. It, Sean Wade, to me, I mean, we saw him last year. He was the nickel corner, uh, played a little bit of safety with Damon Arnett and Jeffrey Okuda on the outside in that Buckeyes defense. Uh, I mean, he was basically a starter, but he was an inside player, uh, playing a little safety, a little corner, a little nickel. He was going to move outside this year. And without having those outside reps, and I actually think that his skill set is better outside. Because like you mentioned, he's big, he's long, he's not afraid to get physical. Uh, he, I think he's got some ball skills. I, he is better outside, it's just we don't have any tape. And so it's going to be really interesting with Sean Wade. Uh, I, 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 he's already graduated. Uh, he graduated uh, this this month uh, in August, so he will be eligible for the Senior Bowl. And if you're Jim Nagy, you've got an easy pitch to him. Listen, you come to Mobile, and you're able to show that you can play on the outside, and you're going to live up to those first round projections because of that. But right now, it, it's a it's a pure projection moving him from uh, the inside. Uh, to the outside, but that's that's doing a top 50 list like this. You have to make a lot of the, you know, you're just missing a lot of the information and you have to try to connect it. And uh, Sean Wade's one of them. I have him at 16. I don't feel super great about it right now. I just, uh, you know, hopefully we get to see a little bit more tape on him uh, before it's all said and done. He's one of those guys that I wish would transfer, would grad transfer just for purely selfish yeah. football reasons and evaluation reasons. But I wish he would, you know, in a perfect world for me, he would train. Now, now listen, there's a chance that the Big 12 may end up – I mean, the Big 10 may end up playing some football. He's not an official. I haven't seen that he's opted out officially. Nope. So there is still a chance, obviously, that you know the Big 10 is talking about playing. And, and Thanksgiving came up 
last week, and then it was, no, we'd still probably start our season in January. So don't we don't know what Wade is going to do. But let's just say if the Big Ten didn't go, I would love to see him get a chance to play somewhere and play outside cornerback because that's something I really need to see. Like, and that's and if I need to see it, and I just write the <laughs> the draft profiles for NFL.com, well, you know who really needs to see it? NFL teams. And so, what NFL teams are going to rely on is they're going to rely on relationships with Ohio State staff. They're going to rely on, hey, how did he look when you played him outside? Did you give him outside reps? What did he look like? What do you think the issues are going to be for him playing you know, outside versus what we see on him of tape? Do you think he's a corner or a safety? They're going to rely very heavily on what some of the coaches at Ohio State will say about his you know, reps as an outside, as an outside cornerback. I'm, I'm looking him up right now, as a matter of fact, because I want to find – um, if he's had how many reps, cause what I'll do is I'll go back and look at his reps at, um, at specifically outside cornerback. And yeah, it's not many, it's not many. And it's kind of like that Rondale Moore discussion. I think Rondale Moore had like 15 targets down the field. Like it's just something that's missing. Almost the none. Yeah. yeah. And with Sean Wade, it's, it, it's similar. It's a very low number. For wow. Those 56 reps. total reps outside. Yeah. Wow. Compared to a couple hundred inside. Yeah, 13 last year, 43 the year before. Yeah, yeah, that's that's tough. And and I think Sean Wade was actually, he he was almost taking the Damon Arnett path because Damon Arnett, who really wanted to come out after his junior year, was talked into going back for his senior year, and he turned himself into a first-round pick. Sean Wade... Yeah, a lot of people thought, even in the NFL, thought he was he was going he was going to declare after this past year and probably would have been a second rounder. Uh, but he decides to go back to school and get his degree, show that he could be an outside player and be a first round pick. And, and now, obviously, with college football being uh, turned upside down, he's not going to have those same opportunities. But yeah, hopefully, we do get a chance to see him uh, on the field in some capacity and some. It, and it's going to be weird if if the Big Ten tries to pull this off. How does the NFL respond? Do they move the Senior Bowl back yeah. a little bit? Do they move the process back? I mean, I think the according to like the CBA, I believe the draft has to happen by it's like the first week in June or something like that. So you know, it's it, move everything back a month. I, I don't know. I don't know what it's going to look like, but. Uh, it, it's 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 going to be really interesting. I think the NFL will be accommodating to a certain degree, but uh, you know, there's uh, will these players like a Sean Wade even participate in a spring season, or will they just say, "Hey, I, I, I'm just going to prepare for the draft at this point"? And so it's it, there's a lot of unanswered questions right now. Yeah, as we're talking, giving you some instant. I just turned the tape on for Sean Wade, and it's mostly against Rutgers in 2019. Um, yeah, he's picking that game. You know what? It's funny. When he's down the sideline, he can stay in phase with routes, but boy, he really struggles in maintaining, you know, his his feel of the route off the off press release. He really struggles mm-hmm. with discipline, and that's something that just doesn't come, you know, that that that's just not something that's automatic. You and I have done this long enough, Dane. I really respect you with your work up with cornerbacks and 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 secondary, which I think could be really challenging, but the ability to have the patience and discipline at cornerback as a press corner against tricky releases and NFL releases, that's a, that, that's a skill. And mm-hmm. not everyone is going to have it. Not everyone can develop it. That's something I think some of that is innate. 
and it's almost that point guard, you know, that defensive ability you see in basketball where you you don't bite on pump fakes and you're able to slide your feet laterally both ways. Um, and and not everyone is going to have that. Now, to your point, I've had these I've had these long discussions previously on my radio show. You can't you can't just say we're going to have our draft the exact same date we're always going to. It's just it doesn't make sense if the Big Ten actually plays because you have to have a combine. You may be able to have two different combines or maybe you say, look, for those of you who are – and if you're a player who plans on going out in the draft, why would you – if you know that you're a potentially a combine player, you almost get the, the sense that they would say, why would I play if I'm going to mm-hmm. miss the combine? Because the combines where medical and psychological evaluations are going on, which are just as important to teams as what you do on the field. So now if they had a second combine, it would be tougher for teams. But if they had a second combine for Big Ten teams and potentially Pac-12 players, although I don't know if that's even going to be necessary, and I mean, if they do play in the fall or spring if they decide to, uh, for any conferences that opt out into the spring, maybe they will have a second combine. I don't know. I just know this much. You have – not having senior bowl, not having or or the way the senior bowl usually looks, not having a combine, not having pro days when you're supposed to have pro days, that is really going to be a challenge if you have that issue arise this year. And I and and I think we can expect, you know, even if the Big Ten goes, I think there are going to be some draftable players who just say, Look, I'm just going to stand on what I've done in the past and I'm going to come out because I really want to play in the senior bowl or I really want to mm-hmm. play and, and I really want to get to the combine if they believe that they're combine guys. So I think you're right. Jim Nagy at the senior bowl, n- not only does he have his hands full with how he's going to do this, but he's also going to be very instrumental in the process this year. He's always instrumental and the senior bowl always in- is instrumental, but maybe even more so in how the senior bowl takes place what will the vaccine situation look like? How will we be viewing the pandemic at that point? These are still very fluid and very up in the air. But I know that that trip to Mobile, which was uninterrupted by COVID last year, is going to be equally as important and maybe even more so this year based on the unique situation we're facing. Yeah, no question. And, you know, there's, you know, talking with Jim over the summer, you know, talking about trying to make it a bubble, trying to make uh, the Senior Bowl. Um, he, he's very he's thinking outside the box, put it that way, in terms of trying to make sure it happens, but also make sh- making sure it's safe for the athletes and making sure that uh, NFL teams are going to be able to you know do their job. Because, yeah, to your point that last year we were able to have the all-star circuit. We were able to have the combine before things started getting shut down. So uh, not having the pro days was, uh, you know, something that was unfortunate, but for the most part, last year's process, uh, you know, was fairly successful this year. You know, we, we don't know yet. Uh, Okay. So as we finish up this conversation, as you went through my top 50 list, uh, was there anything specific that stood out to you? Good, bad, something you agreed with or disagreed with. Interesting to get your feedback on it. Yeah, I um, so Trey Smith. I think you know I I run with the offensive line crew over at the Joe Moore Awards, and I can tell you this: I think there is you have him at twenty one, and you have Wyatt Davis ahead of him just at nineteen, and I think both are very mm-hmm. very talented. But I know there's a lot of love on the streets for Trey Smith, and I think it's going to be interesting to see where he goes and and whether or not he plays. I know there's some concern right now. 
you know, circling college football about some some COVID based testing and issues over there at Tennessee. So I'm I'm interested to see if Trey Smith actually plays this year if he's a late opt out. Um, but him at 21, I thought he might be a little bit higher for you. And then I actually was surprised to see Devonte Smith um, where he was on the list because when I watched him last year and I wrote him up last year because I thought he was coming. Boy, I was really impressed with Devontae Smith. I thought he combined some of the best features of Henry Ruggs and um, Jerry Judy in the way that he played the game. And I thought he might have been the most polished of those three wide receivers. And I know you have Waddle ahead of him. Um, and Waddle's obviously an incredibly fast, incredibly explosive wideout who also has special teams talent. So that probably accounts for that. But uh, Devontae Smith at 23, I feel like I would have had him higher. Yeah, and Devontae Smith's going to be tough because he's there's nothing intimidating about him when you see him on the – uh, no. You know, lining up or seeing him on the sideline, he's he's 170 pounds soaking wet, and so I, that is my concern with him. Is just you know being able to be uh, you know holding up uh, power uh, at the point of attack, uh, you know facing corners, and you know being able to win contested tries. But he does it on tape, and he's you know you see the routes, you see uh, he's got the best hands on that team. Uh, there's so much to like about him if you just get past the fact that he doesn't have the build that you want, the frame that you want. Uh, but I still think he's, you know, he's definitely in that first round conversation. I just he's going to be a, an interesting test case because he's not going to be what everyone necessarily wants in a top twenty receiver. Um, I, to me, I saw a more dynamic version of like a, a Tyler Boyd in Cincinnati, that type of player uh, who can play in a slot, can play outside. There's just a lot to like about them, but it's it's definitely an interesting group. Those two seniors, uh, I think those those two two guys might be uh, two of the highest seniors on this list, if not. Oh, I Quiddy Pay from Michigan. I think he's my top ring senior, and then uh, Trey Smith to Devonte Smith three. So those are the top three seniors on my list. Um, if for those who haven't checked out. Uh, the top 50 yet, uh, you know, you get 40% off on The Athletic right now. Please, uh, I think you'll enjoy what you have to see and, and read. And uh, there's some interesting discussions with these guys. A lot of, uh, like I said before, a lot of unproven talents, but I just, I couldn't leave them off the list because even though they are not proven, the potential is off the charts. Guys like, uh, you know, Joshua Kando and I mentioned Owe. Uh, you know, guys that have, you know, Christian Barmore from Alabama, the defensive tackle, uh, not a great defensive tackle year, but, you know, a guy like Barmore or Jordan Davis at Georgia, there's so, there's so much talent there. You, you see the traits, you see the ability. It's just about unlocking it all, using it, using all that talent in unison to be a more complete football player. So, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely an interesting exercise doing this list. And several, several of these players have already opted out. Uh, the highest ranked, Jamar Chase on my list was number four. Micah Parsons, five. Caleb Farley, eight. I, you know, I, I was surprised that I liked... I, I did not anticipate having Caleb Farley as high as I did. Um, I have him at number eight. Is that too high for you? Is that right right around where you would have him? What would you think of Farley? I know you looked at him. Yeah, I didn't like him as much as you, but I'm also... I also struggle with him because they played him off so much. They only yeah. pressed they pressed him less than 30% of the time, and I think he's an all-day press corner. And mm -hmm. so one of his biggest issues is playing off man and the, the ability to transition smoothly is, is something I thought he struggled with. But what if he's not asked to have to transition from a pedal? 
Um, right. What if he's allowed to, you know, basically get his hands on players because he is big, he is strong, he does have some good build up speed. Um, he's a good athlete. I mean, and he has he's incredibly tough when it comes to when the ball's in the air. I thought there were two different players. There was the player that would get lost in the route sometimes, and 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 was a little undisciplined and lacked some of the fundamentals and technique he needed. And then there's a guy that when you threw the ball in the air became a wolf when the ball was in the air and was going to dominate the catch space. And I had a a personnel guy, we were talking about this and he said, don't forget Lance. He's played two years at corner. Mm -hmm. He was a quarterback in high school before then he's still learning. And so don't beat him up too bad. And I thought he made a really good point. And so I gave him a little higher grade. I gave him a a six, three, which is basically back into the first is what it's going to amount to. I think he's going before then. He's got great traits, but he's one of those guys that I give a grade now. And then he plays this year and he's improved his feet and he's improved his technique and he's improved his discipline. And I would naturally push him up, right? That's how it usually works. You see a guy one year, like, I don't know, Joe Burrow (laughs) and, or even Sony Michelle for me went from being a fourth rounder to a first rounder in the way I graded him. But the normal progression is year three for Caleb Farley is he is better at the technical stuff that I want to see, and it all starts to come together. The unfortunate thing is I won't have a chance to see that on tape, so now I have to use 19 tape, try not to try not to over try not to have too much over reliance on the negative stuff and focus on what he can do because I think that's the most important thing. What is he capable of doing now and what is he capable of doing in the future, especially in the right scheme? And that's why I kind of pushed up Farley more than what I thought the tape said. Yeah, and I think that goes – my favorite part of the draft process that I talk about a lot is just their their journey and understanding the context of where they came from, uh, you know, just – that helps project them forward. You know, understanding that he was a – he was an all-state – quarterback in high school and then he goes to Virginia Tech when they try him at wide receiver and then they move into defense it did, the that whole journey really I think uh tells you a lot about not not only what you're seeing on the tape but when you're trying to project them forward so uh I 100% agree and uh I, you know I, I think before we sign off here I do want to mention how we have some college football this weekend uh no power five programs just yet but from a scouting perspective, there are some guys to watch. Uh, Saturday at 4.30, SMU at Texas State. SMU's got some intriguing players. Uh, Reggie Roberson at receiver. He's a, a top five senior receiver he's, for me. He's tough now, Reggie Roberson. Every time I watch Prochet, mm-hmm. I couldn't stop watching oh, Roberson. Yeah. I'm like, ooh, this guy's going to be nice. Yeah, exactly. He's got a chance to be a top 100 pick. He's got some third-round grades from around the league. So definitely a guy to check out. Shane, even Shane Bouchelle, a quarterback. Uh, he's got a shot to get drafted. You know, Texas transfers kind of reinvented himself at SMU. Uh, you know, there's he, he's definitely in that late round conversation along with a, a few other uh, draftable quarterbacks. Uh, BYU plays on Labor Day, so it, you know Matt Bushman, the tight end, Tonga at nose tackle. It, this is not uh, the normal Labor Day fo- college football kickoff weekend that we're accustomed to. But there are still reasons uh, to watch. So, uh, and we'll be we'll be talking all about it uh, next week. So, uh, Lance, this is awesome. I can't wait to do this with you uh, each week. We're gonna have a lot of fun with this, and uh, I think we, we definitely have a lot of information that I can't wait to share with uh, uh, with the listeners. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it, and uh, it's gonna be fun getting to talk prospects with you on a on a regular basis. 
as we both go through the process of evaluating talent. And, and as, as people can see, we're not always going to see eye to eye, but that's what makes this fun to me is, is the ability to see the same players a little bit differently and find out why we see them different. Yep, absolutely. And that's that that's part of the fun. If we agreed on all these guys, it, it would not be a fun conversation. So, uh, yeah, for Lance Zerline, uh, I'm Dane Brugler. Thanks for joining us on Prospects to Pros. We'll talk to you next week. 